You know, I don't know about you, but uh, during our, uh, our praise time there, we sang Amazing Grace. I've sung that I don't even know how many times in my life. But we got to that second stanza, through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far. Grace will lead me home. And it just struck me in the, in the sense of uh, the days that we're living in. And, uh, you know, God's people have sung that song for how long and been through so many different things. We're just the latest uh, example of that. But what an encouragement uh, that his grace will lead us home and our trust is in, is in the Lord. Well, uh, on this special occasion here of all our services back inside and all of us uh, uh, doing what we're doing today, we're actually going to pause Romans, our series in Romans, for uh, this one Sunday. We'll be back in it next week. Uh, and to talk about what uh, is it about gathering that we have, we've missed so much. If you're online right now, I'm talking about this, you're like, yes, I, I, I miss that so much. And why is it that God's people have this kind of gravitational pull towards each other. We don't feel that about fellow Costco members, Sam's Club members, uh, you know, uh, AAA or something. Uh, but when you're a member of a church and you're a follower of Jesus, there is a simultaneous uh, pull that we feel towards one another. Why is that? Well, we'll get into that here today. And uh, by the way, I totally enjoyed our outdoor services, like really did. And if... if uh, if we went all outdoor, I'd be okay with that. I really would. But we live in the Midwest, and uh, this is not really an option for us half the year or 11 months of the year. Uh, and so uh, being inside is, is great too, um, but I really did enjoy the, the outside stuff. So I'm not really talking about inside versus outside. I mean, there, the, the church there was no church buildings for the first three centuries of the church. So this is not about... Uh, a building, it is about being together. And why, why is this so much, uh, so important to us? And you know, our effort here at the church, we've been trying to do this responsibly, we've been trying to do this respectful to the authorities that God has placed over us. I hope that you have sensed that, I hope that you've appreciated it. My mom called me this week, my parents live in, in Iowa, they attend a large church there, and this large church two weeks ago said, you know, we're just tired of all of these protocols, we're throwing them all out the window, and we're just gonna act like, you know, there's no pandemic going on. And uh, so that was two weeks ago. This week, they sent out a notice to everybody, 19 of the leaders and the pastors have COVID, and they're closing the entire church for some weeks. We are trying to avoid that scenario here. Okay, we're trying to avoid that scenario, uh, and we, we, don't, we don't want that at all. So thank you for flexing with us. That's what this has required, is tremendous flexibility. And over the years, I will say, I have admired the kingdom flexibility of Bethel Church. I mean, if you go back in our story, we have added services, changed times, done you know, Saturday, done Sunday, we've gone multi-site, we've you know, done this, done that, and... The church has remarkably flexed with us through all of those things, and not all churches and not all Christians are known for their flexibility. Did you know that? But I think it's something that Bethel deserves uh, to be praised for, so thank you so much for, for doing that. We're doing the best that we can. 
Our text today is Hebrews chapter 10, and as you get there, one context note that I'll give you as we get to Hebrews 10 is that chapter 10 of Hebrews, in fact, much of the book of Hebrews, is written about how God keeps his people saved. Now, we certainly believe that that God keeps his people saved, and anybody that is truly regenerate in Christ is going to remain in Christ until they die and experience eternal life with God forever. We believe that. Uh, But did you know that our perseverance in the faith is based upon God's solid commitment to our preservation? The preservation of our faith is the basis of our perseverance in the faith, and that's what Hebrews 10 is uh, describing. How does God keep us saved? How does God keep the flame of faith alive in the heart of a genuine Christian? Did you know that God uses means of grace to do that? Perhaps you've never thought about it. You just thought, oh, God just does it. Well, how does he do it? He uses means of grace to continue the flame of faith within our hearts over the course of the rest of our life. Hebrews 10 describes several of these. We are going to just focus really on, on one of these, and I want you to realize that this is broadly what Paul, what, not Paul, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, uh, maybe you have a theory, you could tell me later, uh, but whoever the writer was, he highlights one critical means of grace that can be a make it or break it for our faith remaining alive, and the focus here now is Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25, here's what it says. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, capital D, this is the return of Jesus, the day drawing near. Let me read that again, short verse. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I'm going to guess many of you are familiar with this uh, passage. It's one that, if you are into scripture memorization, that you probably have memorized at some point along the way. And I just want to take this apart and apply it now to the context that we're in here in the day that we're living in. He begins with this. He says, and let us consider. The word there, consider, it means to give forethought to. It means to to think seriously about, to be intentional about. In other words, this is not something that just happens. It is something that happens when God's people give forethought to it. What are we to think carefully about? ESV, how to stir one another up. NIV goes with how to spur one another up. And right now, this might start sounding interesting to you because you may have some people that in your life or in the church that you'd like to give the spur to, right? Oh, now a verse I like. We're gonna spur one another around here. But notice, the goal of this spurring is is not retaliation, but encouragement, okay? Encouragement. Did you know that we can stir or spur one another, encourage one another, in our walk with God, in our, in our Christian faith. And this word stir or spur, it's an interesting one. Uh, it can mean to provoke, to incite, even to irritate. And I've thought for years, many of you have the gift of irritation. So here you go, a verse for you. 
The word is, uh, it can be used in a negative sense, okay, like inciting somebody to action, like a bully on the, on the recess. Come on, man, take me on, come on. That, it could be that, but that's not where he's going here. This is not a negative, it's actually the opposite of that. It's, an, it's a positive. We are to incite, to provoke one another uh, to love and good deeds, to encourage one another towards love and good deeds. These are, of course, Christian virtues. And I think Spurs here provide a very good example of, of how this works. You know, I, I, many of you know I grew up uh, around horses. We just had a, we had a handful of horses, and, and uh, my, my role was to feed them and to pitch the manure out of the stalls after the wintertime which if you've never smelled horse manure after it sat there for about four months, you haven't lived, okay? I'm just telling you. Uh, so that, that was my role. My sister Barb uh, was the horse show girl. And so she would, uh, you know, do the shows and she would get the ribbons and she would get her name in the paper. Not once in the paper did they note that I was the one feeding the horses on a regular basis. Somehow they missed that. I don't know why. But uh, yeah, so I grew up around, around horses. And if you've not grown up around horses, but maybe you've seen a Western, maybe you've never been to a horse show, but you've, you've seen a Western, what are they always wearing? They're always wearing spurs, right? And it makes a little ka-chink, ka-chink. You know, Clint Eastwood, that kind of moment, you hear the spurs chinking as he walks on the, the wood about to you know, blow somebody away. What does that spur do? Why do they wear spurs when they ride the horses? They irritate the horse in order to get it going, right? They dig those spurs in, and that horse takes off. That's the, the purpose of it. I was watching a rodeo with my daughters, and they said, Daddy, what makes the horse uh, you know, buck like that? And I said, well, they put a little something in there to irritate, and off it goes, and it bucks like crazy. That's the idea here only in a positive way, <laughs> right? We are to irritate each other, we are to spur, we are to stir one another toward love and good deeds. So I wonder if anybody came to church today, are you wearing your spurs? Did, did anybody ka-chink, ka-chink, ka-chink as you walk through the commons of the church today? Because you are wearing your spurs and in your heart there is a desire to bless somebody else to encourage them in their own walk with God towards love and towards a life of, of good deeds, expressing faith in Jesus. You might say, well, no, pastor, I came here in order to be helped. I came to church today hoping somebody would encourage me. And nobody's done that yet, and this sermon isn't getting there either. This is part of the problem in churches is when everybody walks in looking for somebody else to, uh, you know, to encourage them, then nobody ends up being encouraged. It's, it's kind of like back in my single days at the single gatherings where everybody walks in, who's here, who here will love me? And, uh, you know, uh, instead of who can I love? Who can I, who can I encourage here today? So the passage doesn't say, let us be stirred or be spurred. It says, let us spur. In other words, this is something we are doing for other people. And what we see in this is that one way that God works to preserve 
our faith is through God's people working to preserve it in each other. That was a terrible sentence. I wrote it better on the screen. You'll get the sense of it, right? One of the means of grace for us staying in the faith is other people, other Christians, encouraging us, spurring us, stirring that faith in our, in our life. So we find in the local church community, one of the purposes of actually getting together is that our faith might be actively promoted and that the fruit of that is greater love and greater good deeds, greater desire to serve other people, and that we need one another in doing it. This is why, you know, if, 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 you, if you, there's no Lone Ranger Christians. Maybe you've heard that before. That is not a biblical view of Christianity where I'm gonna just, you know, follow Jesus in my own, my own you know, just me. I'm just gonna follow Jesus, go to heaven. That's not the Bible. That's not New Testament Christianity. Years ago, we had a remarkable thing that happened uh, with a man in our church. Uh, this guy was golfing at Oak Knoll Country Club, uh, uh, which, and I say country club loosely. Uh, uh, Oak Knoll is a course right here in Crown Point. I shouldn't have said that. We should all golf at Oak Knoll. Okay, I'm gonna counter that. Uh, go there and play golf. But he was there playing golf and, he, and with some, some friends, and on the golf course, he had a massive heart attack. The story was in the papers, it was a big news item, because he had, a, he had a heart attack, and his friends saw him collapse and what happened, and they rushed over to him, and they started doing CPR on him. And in the providence of God, somebody who lives on the course, near the course, saw the whole thing happened, called uh, the, the paramedics, called 911, they rushed out, and they were able to save his life. The friends that were there, the person who was watching, the paramedics, they saved his life. What would happen to him, to him if he would have been there golfing by himself? Is that the lesson, never golf alone? No, that's not the point. The point is that we need other people. We need other Christians in our life and in our face, in our grill, in our business. And this is a good thing. This is one of the ways that God promotes our faith and keeps us Walking after Jesus. That's the lesson here. And the point here is that very point. We need each other. And that this is by divine design. Okay, even from the beginning. I mean, think of Jesus. If anybody could have kind of done what God's will was for his life um, by himself, it would have been Jesus. But what does he do? The first thing he does is he gathers 12 others with him and they do life together. And the image of that experience of being a disciple that John is described as laying his head on Jesus' breast. You want to talk about a kind of closeness and relationship. Jesus cultivated that with his disciples. He took three of them to the Mount of Transfiguration. He took all of them to the Garden of Gethsemane. He took three of them a little further along. Why? He's the Son of God. And yet he desired, indeed we could say in his humanity, needed others with him. There is no Lone Ranger Christianity. Look at verse 25. What does this look like? Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
What we see in this text is that there is a life choice that people can make, indeed that you can make, that can either be an incredible blessing in your life or the neglect of it can be an incredible spiritual detriment in your life. And it's said here in the negative, don't give up meeting, meeting together. Now the scholars think this might be a play on words because the word that he uses for meeting there is a form of the word synagogue, okay, synagogue. What is the name of this book of the Bible? Hebrews. We don't have time to get into all of this, but it's, it's, it's likely written to Jewish Christians who were in danger of returning back to the synagogue, back to the old covenant and forsaking the new covenant in, in Jesus. And so he plays on words here. They're not in danger of, they're in danger of neglecting the church by going back to the synagogue. Don't do that, is what he says. They were not prioritizing being together with other Christians. Do not neglect meeting together. And that word is a word that signifies the formal gathering. Okay, this isn't, uh, you know, this isn't bumping into another Christian at Target and saying, oh, hey, I've done my meeting. I'm, I'm good now. No, this is a kind of formal gathering where God's people gather together for the preaching of God's word, for prayer, for fellowship, uh, for uh, the Lord's Supper, etc. That these gatherings, there's an intent to them that is profitable in our spiritual lives. God is something he does when we get together. And apparently, there were some professing Christians that were not doing that, that this letter is written to. They were habitually not getting together. Now, why don't we speculate a moment for the reasons that they were not getting together. I would submit to you, here are some. Well, of course, there's the Sunday chariot races that you don't want to miss. Uh, up too late the night before to make it to that gathering. Of course, Sunday's a great day to sell stuff at the market. Don't want to miss that opportunity. And then there is the age-old, there's just too many hypocrites at the church. I'm not going to gather with those hypocrites. Now, if we were to examine the heart excuses for the idol that lies behind the excuse, what is the reason for neglecting to get together? For those that say, I don't need the church and I don't need other Christians, what's that? That's pride. How about idolatry? Sports, the yard, convenience. How about greed? Sundays are great days to pick up overtime. And that's more valuable to me. How about this one? They're just lost. Pastor Steve, are you saying that somebody that doesn't gather at the church isn't actually saved? I can't quite say that because I'm not God. Okay? I'm not God. But how do you explain? Here's my observation of uh, 25 plus years of pastoring. On Easter... We have thousands and thousands of people that gather to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and it's like, what? This is so amazing. How many come back the next week? And where are those thousands of people the next Sunday? And why isn't the resurrection of Jesus worthy of their time seven days later? How do you explain that? And I just think you have to look at when, when God's work, God's people, God's church are 
not a high priority in somebody's life. What does that say about the truthfulness of their profession of faith in Jesus? One faithful commentary says it this way, the warning about apostasy that follows, and if you later on read the verses that follow, verse 25, it's one of the strongest warnings in all of the Bible. The warning about apostasy that follows implies that people who deliberately and persistently abandon the fellowship of Christian believers are in danger of abandoning the Lord himself. And here's the point, we can't do this alone. We just can't do it. I don't care how much of the Bible you know, how many seminary degrees you got, your grandpa was a deacon, your daddy was a preacher, how wonderful your wife is. We can't, we can't do this alone. None of us, God didn't make this to work all by myself. He made it to work in community with other Christians. And that is the admonition here. Let's get together, and in getting together, let's individually support one another in a way that helps my faith continue on yet another week, and for my faith to continue until I die. That's the admonition here. Let me quote uh, Martin Luther. By the way, yesterday, Reformation Sunday. I hope all of you were appropriately celebrating Reformation Sunday, a good monk outfit. Uh, always does it on Halloween or something like that, but we, as we celebrate the Reformation and what God did. Martin Luther, here's Martin Luther, the great Martin Luther, who nailed the 95 Theses to the wall. What does he say about this? Here's what he said. At home in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. And I would echo that. And I'm the pastor of the church. I'm supposed to be like amongst the most godly people around here. Do you know how many Sundays, especially in cold January, I wake up and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go preach today, but where's my heart? I'm like, oh, I've gotta, I gotta get going. And I pray, I ask God for help. I, you know, I try to have the sermon ready, get my everything focused that I can. But there is something that God does in my heart when I am with other Christians uh, and these kind of gatherings. And when I I sing and pray and and take the Lord's Supper, it's feeding something in my heart. Do you know what I'm talking about? I am a different person spiritually as a fruit of that than I was when I was at home. God does something through this kind of communal experience of gathering together. It was true for Martin Luther uh, 500 years ago. It's still true today. I hear this sort of thing from many people. They say, you know, I leave church, I leave Bethel, and I'm ready to take on the week. Or this is the highlight of my week. And you know what? Good, it's supposed to be. The highlight of the week, if you're a follower of Jesus, that is. Let me illustrate it this way. You know, if if you're listening online, watching online, listening on the radio, you may not realize our church is in Indiana, the home of the most famous car race in the world, the Indianapolis 500. I didn't have to say it, you knew it. Uh, The Indianapolis 500. Uh, 
What you may not know, and I'll bet even some of you don't even know, is did you know that the Indianapolis 500 started right here in Crown Point, Indiana? Did you know that? You can look it up later. It is, it is the truth. Some of you Illinois people that have moved here, you're like, I had no idea. See, if you would have known that, you'd have moved here 10 years ago. <laughs> Crown Point, Indiana. Yeah, that, it, it started here. And it was called the Kobe Cup before they moved it to Indianapolis and changed the name. And the race started at Crown Point, and it was like a, a lap down the nine mile across to Lowell, and then all the way back. And I looked it up this week just to get the details. The average speed of the winner of the first Kobe Cup, 50 miles an hour. <laughs> so if you live south after church today, technically speaking, if you can average 50 miles an hour on the way home, in a sense, you've won the Indianapolis 500. <laughs> now, let me give you another little uh, interesting detail. I thought we had a picture. Did we put the picture up? Yeah, just to give you an idea. So there, I think that was the winner. Uh, 1909, I should have given you the, the year. Some of you were around then. Uh, <laughs> and here's another interesting detail. See those grandstands? Those grandstands were built near Joliet Road and, uh, and, and the Nine Mile. And the family that, the, the guy that was hired to build those grandstands is the family that owned the land that we are on right here at the Crown Point campus, which if you didn't know, this was a tree farm, okay, back in the day. He was hired to build the grandstands, which means it's possible the wood in the grandstands of the very first Indianapolis 500 was taken from the very dirt we're standing and sitting on right now. Isn't that exciting to you? Okay. Now, if, you, uh, if you're a historical type person like I am, uh, you get excited about that. If you're not, you just want me to get on with the message, don't you? <laughs> what is the point here? Why do we talk about this? Because the Indy 500, if you ever watch that, round and round and round they go. It's amazing how fast they go. And every so often, even these finely tuned technological marvel cars have to take a pit stop. And they pull off, and there's a speed limit they have, and they pull over, and what do they do at the, at, the, at the pit stop? Very quickly, I might add. They change the tires. They clean the windshield off. They top off the gas. They give the driver the thumbs up, off he goes again. And he runs another 100 miles, or however far he goes. You'll never see somebody win the Indy 500 without taking a pit stop. And friends, I think that's a picture of God's design for us gathering together. In a sense, this is kind of like a pit stop because you've been running in the world uh, 200 miles an hour, right? Go, 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 go. You got the kids, you got the job, you got the problems at work, you've got the issues at the house, and you've got this to worry about and that worried about. Go, 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 go. And what happens over time is that the tires start going a little bald and the tank starts to get empty. And you know, you can, you can run on fumes for quite a long time. And when you run 200 miles an hour, you can actually coast for a very long time. But eventually, if you don't take a pit stop, you're out of the race. You're not going to win. 
And by God's design and by his good grace, the rhythm of life built upon perhaps the model of his creation and the Sabbath in the Old Testament is the regular gathering of God's people for the purpose of topping the tank off, cleaning off that windshield that's got all the secular bugs on it from the week, uh, you know, changing the tires so you have a good, you get a grip on things for the week that lies ahead. And off you go. 200 miles an hour to the week that God has ahead for you. You neglect this, you can go for a while, but eventually you run out of gas. Don't neglect the pit stop. Don't neglect getting together. We all desperately need this, and none of us can live without it. Secondly, he urges us to do this regularly. Look at the text. Not neglecting to meet together. Okay? So this is then therefore to be a regular experience of the Christian life. It would be anachronistic to force Sunday morning gatherings on this text, but it certainly can include that. But I think it includes uh, broadly all kinds of regular gatherings that, that we do as Christians that are encouraging to us. We might call that a Bible study. We could call that a small group. We could, we could call that a ministry function that we do with other people. It could be uh, you know, coffee with some Christian guys on a Saturday morning. It could be any number of things. But all of these, the purpose of them is to encourage one another and to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Well, Pastor Steve, does that mean that we can't ever miss? Is there no re room for an occasional absence? And the answer to that is, of course there is, okay? Of course there is. Life has these things. And yet I think there are creative ways to fulfill this. I'll give you one example. I talked with a, a man in our church uh, in the past who, uh, he went away for his parents' 50th wedding anniversary. Him, his kids, and the grandkids, they were all there. On a Saturday, they had the big party. They were out of town. Well, on Sunday, they decided that they were going to have church. And so the grandkids, the kids, the patriarch, the matriarch, they all gathered together. One of the kids was assigned the prayer. The other kid was assigned, you know, to sing. And they sang some songs together. This guy in our church, he had a little devotional message. They had church together. And I'm here to tell you, those grandkids will never forget those times because it says something about the priorities of the family. That's the rhythm to have in our life and to show that as best we can in the circumstances that God places us. Thirdly, we see here that he is urging carefully creating holy habits. Notice the text. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Even in the first century, there were in the churches some professing Christians who were developing not just the occasional miss, but a habit of missing. Now, what is a habit? Let's talk about this. A habit is not a choice. A habit is the result of a series of choices. We have choices. All of us make choices. I make a choice. This is the priority. This is not the priority. When I make that choice, now the next time I have the same choice, we know how this goes, it's always harder to counter the first choice. And we typically will go with the choice that we've made already. This is human nature. And you do that one, two, three, four, 20 times, now you are cultivating a habit. And this is true for 
you know, your exercise routine, you know, what time you get up in the morning, any number of things. But it is also true spiritually for gathering with God's people. You make a choice to say, ah, not this week. It's so much easier than the next Sunday to make the same choice. And you do it a couple times, now it becomes a habit. And this, what is supposed to be a positive habit, is turned into a negative habit. He says, as is the habit of some. Now, those of you that are sitting here today, you're feeling quite smug right now, aren't you? Because you're thinking to yourself, (laughs) we're here. (laughs) Like, uh, why is he spending time on this? Well, because it's in the Bible. And, And also because I'm talking to people online. I'm guessing those of you that are online right now, you're not quite as smug as the people right here in the room. You might be beginning to sweat and think to yourself, is he talking about us? Well, it depends. It depends if you are joining us online because you are conscientiously dealing with the issues medically or for some health reason, concern, uh, with, with COVID-19. And if that is the case, we celebrate the fact that we can even do this. You know, when the Spanish flu in 1918, churches didn't even have this option. I mean, we are profoundly thankful that, you know, for those two months back last spring, it was all online. It's all that we had. Praise God that we could do it. And I am particularly thankful for our tech team who has worked so hard to make those as excellent as they can be. Can we give them a hand just a moment? Okay. But for those of you that are at home who have more time to read the, uh, theologies, I, I hope that you realize that this online thing is less than ideal. It reminds me this summer, I, here's another golfing illustration, this summer I was golfing with a guy and, and he hit the ball and I didn't see where it went. And so I asked him, I said, hey, uh, how did you hit it? He said, ah, it was a son-in-law shot. I said, a son-in-law shot? What do you mean a, a son-in-law shot? He says, you know, okay, but not quite what I was hoping for. <laughs> it reminds me of what this is. It's okay. We're thankful for it. But it's not quite what any of us should be hoping for. This is not the, uh, the New Testament Ideal. So if you're online conscientiously for pandemic reasons, praise God that we can continue this relationship and we can continue to minister uh, to you. However, there are some people that are online right now, and uh, I know from your social media posts, you think this is a hoax. And I see you, uh, you know, eating out at restaurants uh, during the week, and uh, you are you know, hanging out here and there and yonder, and there doesn't seem to be a high level of concern, except on Sunday mornings, when now the pandemic can kill you. And I am somewhat pointing out to you, my dear brother or sister, I want you to know I love you, okay? We love you, we're thankful for you, this is better than nothing. But, do you hear God's word today, which is urging the regular pit stop? the regular gathering, that this is what New Testament Christianity looks like. And my fear is, like in Hebrews in the first century, that some could get in the habit of not gathering. 
And I wonder if over these weeks and months as we've been doing the online thing, perhaps for you, you might be getting a bit in the habit of it. And to you, I would say, break the habit and come and join us and uh, gather with us. You say, why? Why? Look at the rest of the verse. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, do you see in the structure of the sentence here, there is to be one distinguishing mark of our times gathering together. What should be the fruit of it? And that mark here is encouragement. Why do we come to church? Why do we join with our small group? Why do, we, why do we do these things? There are other reasons, but a primary one is to encourage one another. And this, is, uh, this includes other concepts like fellowship, biblical concepts like fellowship, bearing with one another, praying with one another. These are all things that, uh, tools that we have to, to encourage one another. It's not like we're just in the, you know, in the comments telling jokes or whatever. No, there are times of tears and there are sorrows and trials and we, we come alongside, we encourage one another in these times as well. But this is one of the ways that God keeps us saved. This is one of the ways that God continues to nurture our faith is when we get together and we encourage one another. My friends, you realize if all of us gather here together and we're all looking for somebody to encourage us, none of us are gonna be encouraged. It's like the old gag, maybe you've done this before, been a gathering, you know, auditorium like this, if it was full, we would say, hey everybody, right now on the count of three, turn around and shake hands with the person behind you. One, two, three, and everybody turns around and everybody, there's no hand to shake. It's kind of a joke, right? Similarly, if we all are here to be encouraged, nobody's encouraged. In fact, I would submit to you that one of the most encouraging things that you can do is to encourage somebody else. How do you feel after you've ministered to somebody, prayed with them, just had a nice interaction with them, uh, you know, uh, complimented them about something that you've noticed in their life, a quality of their parenting or their, their husbandry or uh, their, their uh, work ethic or any number of things. When we encourage one another, we walk away encouraged ourselves, don't we? And I think that's what gatherings of Christians should be. It's not, not the, like the singles group where you know, we're looking for somebody to minister. No, we're looking to minister to other people. And they're looking to minister to me. And as we do that, we are both encouraged by what they say and we are encouraged by the saying of it. Those are the spurs that we wear to church to stir that up and to spur that up in one another. Did you come that way today? Now, if you're a first-time guest with us today, I would say to you that we probably are not going to get very deep with you today, okay? We're not going to get into the issues of your life unless you want to. Uh, we're not going to pray over the problems of your life unless you bring it up. We're probably just going to say, hey, great to have you here today. Who are you? Where are you from? What's, you know, what's your story? That's about it. But over time, our desire is to move to deeper levels of authenticity and of sharing and of praying and of encouraging. And I call our church to avoid the superficial, constant, what about the Bears game, and what about the weather, and no, no, that's not encouraging, I, I can get that at, at Sam's Club. 
but to try to get into the spiritual with each other, and that requires time. If you're here today and you're like, you know, I'd like a little bit more of that, I would encourage you to take a step uh, into our small group ministry, and you can go to BethelWeb.org and find out more about how to do it. So here's our logo for our, uh, our regathering. I'm sure that you've seen this. And what's the word that we put up there? Together. We are in this together. We're going to walk through this together. We're going to encourage one another together. And this summarizes Hebrews 10.25. We're not going to neglect getting together. But we are going to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. And again, that has been the church from the beginning. Jesus formed a little community with 12 guys, and the church has been a community of believers ever since. And so that paradigm lives on in our church. And I hope in your life.